Bible. We're glad you have joined us this morning. Um, if you have children that are kindergarten to third grade and are going down to Children's Church, uh, they can head down with Melody. Uh, if you have children that are staying with us, they can. Um, there's activities on that back table that they are free to grab and take with them uh, and be used throughout uh, the message. Uh, today we're continuing in our three part, our four part series. This is part three of Who You Say I Am. Um, and as we've said every week, the you in who you say I am is capitalized for a reason. Uh, because in this series, we are looking at who a parent, who a spouse, who the world, universal, or any person says we are. But in this series, we are looking at who it is that God says that we are. Uh, in week one, we began uh, at the beginning. We looked at who God says we were created to be. Uh, God speaks over our lives that we are created with intentionality in the image of God with purpose in this life. It's such an important message for us because the world often says that we are uh, just an accident, that we have no purpose other than to live and to die. But God speaks over us that he made us just the way we are with purpose, and he values us immensely. And that's true of everyone we see and interact with each and every day as well. Last week, we looked at the fact that God says if we are his follower, that he calls us his child. God speaks over my life as a follower of God that I am a child of God. I'm not an accident, but I am a child of God. And God doesn't desire to relate with us as distant, as a distant evil stepfather, but he relates to us as an almighty, all-powerful God who relates to us as a dad who loves us. We said that God loves us. He delights over us. Uh, he rejoices over us. He sings over us. He loves us as we love our children. And I don't just delight and rejoice over my children when they are good or because I deem them perfect, but I delight and I rejoice over my children because they are mine and I love them. God doesn't wait for us to work our way to him, he, to clean ourselves up, but he offers forgiveness to all, uh, which we will see today. Uh, when we, and when we follow after him, he calls us his child. Loves us. He rejoices over. He delights over us. It's such an amazing and powerful thought. God accepts. God loves me and rejoices over me and you if we are his followers. So if you missed either one of those messages, I would encourage you. You can go back and listen to them on YouTube by just searching Living Hope Green River. But today we want to take just a few moments and look at the reality that the foundational truth that God speaks over his followers. And that reality is that God speaks over me and he speaks over you if you are a follower of Jesus, that, that I am forgiven, that you are forgiven. And we're not partially forgiven as we forgive one another, but we are completely forgiven. Right? When we humans, when we forgive one another, we do so in word, but often we don't forget the action. And we are often quick to remember uh, and use that, uh, that affront as ammunition in the future. But we're going to see that's not how God forgives us. And so often, although we are forgiven, we maintain the guilt, the, the shame, the fear from our past. And we don't believe that God can actually forgive me and what I've done. 
So we're going to unpack what God really says over those feelings, what he says over our lives, what he says over our future if we have trusted him with our lives and experienced his forgiveness. So we're going to visit a lot of different scripture today, but we're going to begin uh, with the first uh, uh, five verses of Psalm 32, if you want to head that direction. And Psalm 32 is a psalm of David, and it showcases the complete and total forgiveness that is offered to us by God. And the context for Psalm 32 is so important. David, who is the king of Israel, he is a man said to be after God's own heart. He has sinned, and he has sinned in a big way when we get to Psalm 32. Now, God doesn't rank sin, but, but we love to rank sin. And David has committed two of the biggies in our book. Right? He's committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then to cover it up, he has murdered her husband, Uriah. David is a murdering adulterer, and yet we are going to see here that forgiveness is available even to him. And forgiveness is available to all that will repent and follow after God. And if God can forgive David, then we will see he can certainly forgive you and I. And this psalm is written in response to the forgiveness that David has experienced from God and the incredible relief and grace that came from that forgiveness. So we're in Psalm 32, uh, starting in verse 1. It reads, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped in it, as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, just the incredible truth that we get to study and unpack today. God, we thank you that while we were sinners, while we were far from you, while we deserved death and life apart from you, you sent Jesus to die the death that we deserve. And in you, there is forgiveness to any and all, no matter what their past life's like, if they will repent and follow after you. So, God, we thank you for that reality and that truth. God, and we thank you that you don't just forgive us partially, but when we turn to you, you forgive completely and totally. And so, God, I pray for uh, those that might not know you. God, I pray that they might repent and they might find your forgiveness today. And, God, I pray for those that are here that are forgiven, that have trusted their lives to you. God, I pray that you would help us to leave in the freedom and the reality that we are totally and completely forgiven. God, that you would help us to give up the shame and guilt we uh, might feel, Lord, trusting that you have forgiven us completely. And, God, I pray that we would live in that freedom as we leave today, that we would give thanks for that freedom and forgiveness today. God, and that we would show that forgiveness to others. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for who you are. It's your name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, we have to begin by answering the question, what do I need to be forgiven for? Right, we live in a world and a culture that says that most people are, people are good, and as I look around, I can always find somebody that I deem worse than me. Perhaps their behavior is worse than mine, their language is worse than mine, their family is worse off than mine. So what do I need to be forgiven for? Well, if you're new to church or new to church vocabulary, then we're going to talk a lot about a church word called sin. And sin is what the Bible tells us separates us from God, and it's what we need forgiveness for in order to experience a relationship with God and to experience heaven with God. So what is sin? 
Sin literally means to miss the mark. In this case, it means to miss the perfection of God. And sin is anything we do that goes against God. Sin is when God says live this way and act this way or think this way, and we say, no, I know better. I'm going to live my way instead. Sin is when we exalt ourselves to the role of God instead of worshiping the one true God. Sin is when we place any idols, any pursuits, any people above the one true God. And what the Bible tells us and what we're going to see today is that our sin is a big deal. And it's important for us to see and understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We cannot understand the depth of grace, the forgiveness, the love we've experienced in God until we understand the extent of the offense of our sin. In Romans 3.23, Paul writes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we said earlier, we can look around and we can always find someone that we feel is worse than us. But unfortunately, the Bible tells us we aren't held to the standard of someone else, but we are held to the standard, the perfection of God. And when we compare our lives to the perfection, the holiness of God, we all come up short. We all miss the mark. None of us are without sin. We are quite literally born sinners with a sin nature. We are born desiring self, exalting self. We are born sinners. So that's our first point this morning is that I am a sinner. You and I, everyone who walks this earth is a sinner. We have all fallen short of God's glory and his perfection. The Bible says it's just one sin separates us from the holiness of God. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. James says if you stumble and sin and break just one law, you are guilty of them all. He says if you sin once in God's eyes, you are guilty. Your sin separates you from God as much as if you had broken them all. We've all fallen short. The gospel, the Bible cries out to us that we are all sinners. We've all done things that go against God, and we are all in need of a Savior. And again, we like to minimize our sin. In doing so, we, we assume that our sin can't be that serious. We told a white lie. Who cares? We've fallen short of God's perfection. Of course we have. Who cares? Does it really matter? We've all sinned. I, I would think most of us can agree on that. But why does our sin matter? Our sin matters because the Bible tells us it separates us from God and his holiness. And it separate us, separates us from God both now and for eternity. Paul in Romans 6.23 says the wage or the price or the consequence of our sin is death. Paul says because of our sin, we cannot be with God. And so our eternity will result in death as opposed to eternal life with him in heaven. The Bible says because we are not connected, because we're not in relationship, because we're not following God, then we will die and be separated from him forever in a place the Bible calls hell. Like that's a big problem that our sin has caused. It's a big problem not to be in a relationship with God, and that relationship has been severed by our sin. Last week, we talked briefly about the parable of the prodigal son. And in that story, the young, uh, the young man goes to his father, and he says, give me my money, give me my inheritance now. He tells the father he would rather have the money and his perceived freedom than have a relationship with the father. In that story, the son rejects the father. He severs the relationship with the Father. He walks away from the Father. And that is exactly what we have done to God in our sin. We have walked away from Him. We have severed the relationship. God is holy. He is perfect. And He cannot be in the presence of our sin. And that's our next point. I am 
dead in my sin. I am separated from God. We are all sinners, and we are all separated from God because of our sin. Our world likes to live and believe, well, if we just work hard enough, if our good deeds outweigh our bad, then surely God will have to accept me. We talked about it last week, but that is the message of every other world religion. Every other world religion says if you work hard enough, if you do enough good deeds, then you just might earn your way to God, to nirvana, to eternal life. But there's no assurance in that. And every other world religion leaves us a slave to good deeds, a slave to fear. Have I done enough? Our future, our life is uncertain. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Bible declares something totally different over our lives. The gospel, the Bible declares that we are all sinners and that sin separates us from God completely and forever. The Bible declares there is nothing that you and I can do in our own power to make up for our sin and earn our way to God. The Bible declares just one sin separates us from a holy God and there's nothing we can do. But the thing that separates the Christian faith The Bible, the gospel from every other world religion is the word grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved forgiveness and favor of God. In my sin, I am enslaved. I am dead in my sins. I am hopeless to earn eternal life. But the good news is that while I was in that state, God made a way. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life to any and all that will turn and receive that forgiveness. So that's our next point. My sin has separated from God. It has left me hopeless with no way of earning and inheriting eternal life. Yet God in his love and his grace has made a way for me to be forgiven and to be in relationship with God. In his love, God has made a way for you and I to be forgiven. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were actively sinning, while we were running from God, while we were dead in our sin, while we were hopeless to have a relationship with God and inherit eternal life, that's when God demonstrated his incredible love for you and I, by sending Jesus to die the death that we deserve. Romans 3.23, which we read earlier, states our situation apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we are all sinners, and the wage of that sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And it's that very death that Jesus comes to pay. He comes and he lives the sinless life that I couldn't and have not lived. He then goes to the cross as a sinless sacrifice for my sin. He takes the death that my sin deserved and he dies in my place. He is the substitute for my sin, for my guilt. He takes my punishment. And then three days after his death, he conquers the grave and he rises victorious, offering forgiveness and eternal life to any and all that will follow after him. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid my debt. He paid the price for my sin and he has made a way that you and I can be forgiven for our sin. A way that we can be made holy and blameless so that we can be in relationship with God for eternity. That's our next point. Jesus paid my debt and he offers me forgiveness. The good news of Jesus is that I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of my sin is death, but God so loved me and he so loved you that he sent Jesus to live the perfect, sinless life I couldn't live, and then to die the death my sin deserved. 
the good news of the gospel of the Bible is that Jesus died in my place. And he didn't just die, but he rose victorious three days later over death. And he offers me and you his sinlessness, his righteousness, his life if we will trust him in faith. If we will trust Jesus and put our faith in him, the Bible says we will be forgiven. That's the hope of the Bible. In the story of the prodigal son, the young man finds himself at the lowest of lows. Right? He ran from his father. He has sinned against the father. He has broken the relationship with the father. He has found himself enslaved to sin. He has nothing left and nothing to offer. In that story, his life is hopeless. And it's in that sinful, rock-bottom, hopeless state that he thinks of his father. We saw it last week. It says he came to his senses. And when he thinks of his father, he decides, maybe I'm going ret- to return home and I'm going to beg him for forgiveness. And so the young man gets himself up and he goes to the father. That's such a beautiful picture of what repentance is. Repentance means to turn 180 degrees and head the other direction. The young man left his sin behind. He went to the father and when he did, he was forgiven. And the Bible says the same is true of our lives. If we will turn from our sins, from our pride, and turn to Jesus, then we will be forgiven. That's our next point. It says repentance leads to forgiveness. To receive forgiveness, to receive eternal life, we must turn from self and turn from our old ways of life and return to God through Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says you will be saved. Paul says, if you turn to Jesus in belief, then you will be saved. You will be forgiven. Paul says, there's no questions about it. When you turn to Jesus, God will forgive you. God loves you. He has made a way and he offers forgiveness to any and all that will return to him. John 3, 16, you probably know, it says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But you have to choose to repent. You have to choose to return to God. You have to choose to follow after him. You have to choose to make him Lord. You have to accept his gift and receive his forgiveness. You have to admit that I am in need of forgiveness and ask for his forgiveness and for eternal life. You like the son in the parable, you have to return to the father. You have to return to God. And the promise is that if you do, just like the Father, God is waiting for you to return to Him. And He doesn't wait with anger. He doesn't wait with disappointment. But He waits with compassion, with love, and with forgiveness. And the Bible says, if you return to Him, you will be forgiven and all of heaven will celebrate. Just as the dad did when the son came home. They will celebrate that you went from dead to alive, from lost to found. It's even better than we can comprehend. As I said in the introduction, we forgive others, but we often hold on to the memory of that hurt, don't we? The memory of the affront, the memory of what that person did to me. We hold on to it, and we will bring that back as ammunition in the future. But that's not how God forgives us. David in Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
What an incredible passage. David says that God has compassion on us as his children, which we talked about last week. And he says that our transgressions, our sins, are removed as far as the east is from the west. In Jesus, our sins are completely and totally forgiven. God doesn't forgive but then hold them against us. He doesn't forgive but then remember our sins and bring them up in the future. But David says he forgives totally and completely. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. That's our next point. God doesn't just forgive, but in Jesus, our forgiveness is total and complete. I've shared this before, so bear with me if you've heard it. But I believe this is one of the most amazing and powerful declarations in the Bible. The last words that Jesus utters from the cross are the words, it is finished. And in English, that reads as three different words, but those words are translated from one Greek word. And the word is the word tetelestai. And I know the word in and of itself is not that exciting, but I think what it means can be life-altering. The word tetelestai is uttered by Jesus from the cross was said in the perfect passive indicative tense. And I'm far from an English scholar. You can go talk to Steve Schwartz if you want to hear more about it. But the implications of the tense are incredible. Because when Jesus says the word tetelestai, he speaks over our lives that our debts, our sins are forgiven. And when he says it in the perfect passive indicative tense, he speaks over our life that your past, your present, and your future sins are forgiven by his work on the cross. He doesn't just say that your past sins are forgiven, but you have to keep coming in and getting any new sin forgiven. But he declares of your life that your past sins are forgiven, your present sins are forgiven, and so too is every future sin you will commit. When you repent and turn to Jesus, all of your sins are forgiven. All uncertainties are erased because you are completely forgiven. You don't have to live your life uncertain of your eternity. In Jesus, you are completely and totally forgiven. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 8.36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus speaks over every one of your stupid past sins. It is finished if you turn to him. There's no more guilt and shame in those sins. Jesus speaks over whatever sin you are struggling in life with today. Whatever is the addiction you are struggling with today, it is finished when you turn to him. And Jesus speaks over your life, I know that you will falter and sin again. But don't worry, because in me, those sins are forgiven as well. In Jesus, you are totally and completely forgiven. And it gets even better than that. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 32, which we read earlier. David, remember where he's coming from. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave even the guilt of my sin. David says, when I turned to you and admitted my sin, not only did you forgive me of my sins, but you even forgave the guilt of my sin. God doesn't forgive us of our sins and then desire for us to live out the rest of our lives in guilt and shame. But he forgives us of our sins, and he desires for us to walk forward in forgiveness, in freedom, in the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't save us for us just to sit around and wallow in the guilt and shame of the past. 
but he saves us. He forgives us, and he desires for us to walk forward in this life in freedom from that guilt and shame. That's our next point. In Jesus, even my guilt is forgiven. It said when Martin Luther was suffering under the weight of guilt, his spiritual director, Johannes Stoppett, said to him, he said, Martin, quit looking at your sin and start looking at Jesus. In Jesus, our sins are totally and completely forgiven. If we want to experience that reality, if we want to walk in that forgiveness, then we must through prayer, through the reading of God's amazing grace, through hearing of his love, lift our eyes from ourselves and our sin and focus on the Savior. God doesn't desire for you to live your life in guilt, in shame, and in self-pity. Instead, he desires for you to lift your eyes to him and rest in his love, in his grace, in his forgiveness, and in his promises. And it's when we lift our eyes to him and find our identity in him and who he says that we are, that we truly experience the freedom he desires for us. So if you are a follower of Jesus, God speaks over your life, and he speaks over my life that I am forgiven. That's our final point. If you are a follower of Jesus, God speaks over you. He speaks over me. I am forgiven. And God desires for us to find our identity, our future, our presence in that truth. You and I are forgiven in God if we have placed our faith in him. Because of that, our identity doesn't rest in our job. Our identity doesn't rest in our past. It doesn't rest in our wallet. It doesn't even, even rest in our future prospects. Our identity is found in who God says we are. And in Jesus, and in Jesus, God says you and I are forgiven. God says you and I are freed by his grace from the guilt and shame of our past. God says that you and I, our future, our eternal future is secure. We don't have to try and earn our way to eternal life or to God, but in Jesus, our future is secure, and heaven is our destination because of Jesus' work on the cross. In Jesus, I am forgiven. So as we begin to wrap up and respond, I, I know that today's message is relatively simple. You've probably heard it before if you've ever been around the church. I hope you have. Our message today is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus that says, I am forgiven. And I pray and trust that God reminds you of this truth. I pray that he will reorient your life and your identity around him and what he speaks over you. So as we begin to wrap up, Virginia is going to come and she's just going to uh, play a little song and, uh, on the piano. And we're just going to take some time to bow our heads and to pray. I think there's a few different spots you can be. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you know that you have trusted Jesus with your life, then in these few moments as Virginia plays, would you just give thanks? Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And then as a follower of Jesus, ask God that as you walk forward, that you would walk forward in who he says that you are. That you would walk forward in freedom, in forgiveness, as opposed to the great, as opposed to the guilt and shame of our past. God speaks over your life that if you have put your faith in him, then you are completely and totally forgiven. Walk forward in that forgiveness, in that freedom. Give even your guilt and your shame to him. Trust that you are totally and completely forgiven in him. And lastly, as a follower of Jesus, would you go and would you forgive others? 
forgiveness you have been forgiven. Would you share that forgiveness you've experienced with others and share that message of hope with others? And lastly, maybe you're here and you have never repented. You've never turned and, and followed Jesus with your life. If that's you and you know that you are a sinner in need of saving, would you today know that God loves you? He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place. And he says, if you will turn to him, if you will follow after him, then forgiveness awaits. So if that's you, would you today, would you repent? Would you believe? Would you ask God for his forgiveness? That's something you can do in your seat, or you can come and talk with me, and I would love to share with you what it means to follow Jesus in your life. So I'm going to pray for us, then Virginia's going to play for just a couple of minutes. During those couple of minutes, I just ask you to bow your head and pray and just ask God to speak to you. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you loved us even uh, when we were in sin, even when we were running away, even when we were that prodigal son far away in a distant land. God, we thank you that even when we were in that state, you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin, to die the death that we deserve. God, I pray that as followers of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to walk forward in the truth that we are forgiven. God, that you would help us to, to not just know, but to feel that, that we are forgiven totally and completely. God, I pray that you would help us to give even our guilt and our shame over to you. God, and that we would lift our eyes from the sin of our past, from ourselves, and we would lift our eyes to you. And that we would live in the reality of who you say we are. God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that's never experienced your forgiveness and your grace and your promise of eternity, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts today. That in these next few moments, you would reveal their need for you, Lord, and they would, that they would know that you are God and that you died in their place and that you they need your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to repent and trust their life to you we know that if anyone does, that they will be forgiven. They will experience your love. God, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would help it to be real to our lives. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that, you're, that you love us. 
God, we thank you that forgiveness is available in you. And God, I pray that we would experience that and that we would live that out this week. That we would walk forward in your freedom and your forgiveness. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, just a few announcements. Uh, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that in that wood box on that back table, we would appreciate it. Uh, that's also in place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, we have Kids Choir, which meets uh, here at the church from 5 to 545 on Wednesday nights. Um, there's a snack served between that and Kids Night if your kids are staying. If you have questions about Kids Choir, you can see Ms. Chandra or you can see me and I will direct you to Ms. Chandra. Um, but we'd love for you to join us in that. Uh, we have youth group and kids nights that meet here at the church on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Again, love for you to join us for that. If you have questions about that, you can see me, uh, and I can try to get you some answers. And then lastly, we have small group Bible study, which meets here at the church uh, from sun on Sunday nights, that's tonight, from 6 to 7. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can see me about that as well. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. We pray and hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed. Thank you.